Good afternoon. This is Midday Magazine for Tuesday, the fourth day of October. I'm Julie Hersey, and today is Municipal Election Day in Petersburg. The polls are open all day at the community gym from 8 this morning until 8 tonight. Voters will be deciding who will be mayor and who will fill two seats on the borough assembly. There are also elections for other local boards and commissions. Three people are running for the mayor's seat, and for Borough Assembly, five people are seeking two seats. Two incumbents are running. On the hospital board, there are four candidates running for three seats, including two incumbents. The Harbor Imports Advisory Board has two open seats with four people running, and that also includes two incumbents. The school board race is uncontested with two people running for two seats. In all, there are 19 seats up for election on various boards and commissions. Some did not draw any interest this year and could be filled later by appointment. There are three ballot propositions for voters to decide. Proposition number one considers an amendment to the Petersburg Borough Charter. If passed, people could pay for extensions of utility services like water, sewer, electric, or solid waste on their property without needing the borough to create a specific service area first. Proposition number two is another potential charter amendment. It asks if an elected borough official discloses a potential financial conflict of interest about something they're considering should the board address the conflict. And the third proposition addresses another charter amendment. The borough recently held an outcry auction in May of 2022. Outcry auctions are live in-person auctions. Currently, borough employees and officials can participate in sales of borough property if it is competitive sealed bidding. Proposition 3 asks if the charter should be amended to allow them to participate in outcry auctions as well. As I said, the polls are open today until 8 o'clock tonight in the community center in the activity room. And KFSK will be broadcasting unofficial results of today's voting tally. There will be a hand count held tomorrow for the absentee early ballots and the write-in ballots. And today's vote tally on KFSK tonight after 9 will be unofficial results so far. And then after the absentee and early ballots are tallied, there will be another count broadcast Wednesday. And the official results will be declared when the Borough Assembly meets to officially canvas the election Friday morning at 9 o'clock. Remember... When you go up to vote, bring your voter registration card or your ID, and you can view a sample ballot at kfsk.org or drop by here to get a list of the registered write-in candidates. A landmark piece of legislation that regulates fisheries from coast to coast could be getting an update that has been years in the making. But as Sabine Pooks reports, changes to the landmark act are far from the fish line. In the world of Alaska fisheries, there's one pair of names that comes up with nature. Thanks to the Magnuson-Stevens Act, we will continue to enjoy these benefits today and into the future. Since 1976, the Magnuson-Stevens Act has been around since 1976, and it sets the rules for federal fisheries in the United States. On Thursday, the U.S. House Natural Resources Committee passed a long-sought rewrite of the act, which tightens restrictions on bycatch and calls out the threat of climate change on federal fisheries. The revised act would still need to pass Congress before taking effect, but if it does pass, it could have big implications for the way Alaska's federal fisheries are managed. Anybody who is dependent on 
halibut is impacted by the language in this bill. Anybody who is dependent on salmon and interactions between salmon and pollock fisheries, for example, is impacted by this bill. Marissa Wilson of Homer directs the Alaska Marine Conservation Council. She says it's important to keep Magnuson-Stevens updated as the threats facing fisheries change in Alaska and beyond. For example, the rewrite would explicitly call out the threat of climate change on federal fisheries for the first time and would require regional councils to make plans to address those threats. Changes related to climate are thought to play a role in the declines of fisheries across the state, like the crash in cod stocks in the Gulf of Alaska. Linda Bankin with the Alaska Longline Fishermen's Association in Sitka says the acknowledgement of those effects is significant. I think it's an important step in just highlighting how essential it is for fishery managers to build climate considerations into management of fisheries since we are seeing such rapid change. The bill also adds two Alaska Native representatives to the North Pacific Fishery Management Council. That's one of eight regional councils created by the original act to manage fishing in federal waters. Alaska Democrat Representative Mary Peltola advocated for those seats last year when she testified for the reauthorization in front of Congress. Today, she's a member of the House Natural Resources Committee. In a hearing earlier this month, the fishing advocate drew attention to the dire condition of fish stocks on the Kuskokwim River and in Alaska's oceans, and she called out one controversial culprit. The bill before us today makes great progress towards limiting the wasteful problem of bycatch, the destructive practice that hurts Alaskans who need the fish for sustenance. Bycatch is the incidental take of fish species, and it's one of the most significant focuses of the rewrite. Previous versions of Magnuson-Stevens say bycatch should be minimized in management plans, quote, to the extent practicable. That one phrase, to the extent practicable, is scratched from the updated version, essentially calling for the total elimination of bycatch altogether. That's a sticking point for a large coalition of industry groups and fishermen who sent a letter to the House committee alleging the new version of the bill is overly partisan and that it could throw the industry into chaos. The group say bycatch is a reality in every commercial and recreational fishery in the U.S. And they say a requirement to absolutely eliminate bycatch could force courts and managers to shut down some fisheries altogether. The courts have used standards outlined in Magnuson-Stevens before to overturn fishery management plans. Most recently in June, when a district court judge sided with Cook Inlet fishermen and said the closure of their fishery violated the act and its national standards. Wilson, with the Conservation Council, says she hears the concerns that the rewrite leaves room for interpretation on what constitutes an acceptable level of bycatch. But she doesn't think the bill would create as much chaos as opponents suggest. What it does is it really it signals, I think, to councils um, that, that reductions are really important, particularly here in the North Pacific. Even though the rewrite cleared the House committee, its path is anything but guaranteed. Many amendments proposed by Republicans in committee were shut down during the markups, and the bill will still have to make it through a split Congress before it passes. In Kenai, I'm Sabine Pooks. A proposal to build a new seaplane base in Sitka is 20 years in the making and seems to be gathering steam before the pandemic. But some fresh community opposition last year and a significantly higher cost estimate this year are proving to be major setbacks. The Sitka Assembly recently heard an update on the project. Catherine Rose has this report from Sitka. 
The existing seaplane base is over half a century old. It was damaged by a storm in 2016 and has other problems, according to the city's public works director, Michael Harmon. Woefully undersized for the needs that are projected in the in the business case studies that have been done. Um, I think you're aware it's at the end of its um, functional life. We've done some emergency repairs to it to keep it afloat. Um, even those repairs will soon be coming to the end of their design life. Harmon said the existing seaplane base's location isn't ideal for an expansion that would meet Sitka's future needs. In 2019, the Assembly scored around $800,000 in federal grant funding to study the environmental impact of constructing a new seaplane base at the north end of Japonski Island on uplands adjacent to Mount Edgecombe High School. Harmon said the Department of Education's commitment to selling that property to the city kicked the project back into high gear last year. We made it a high legislative priority and lobbied the state to participate in selling the uplands that allowed the the project to get off dead center, so to speak, over all the years and really elevated into a moving forward project with the federal funding. In 2021, the FAA's study found that developing the base would have no significant environmental impact to the area. So the assembly adopted a resolution to support it. At the time, the project was estimated to cost around $15 million, with the plan to fund most of it with federal grants, including the land purchase. Really solidifying the location and to move forward into the design phase of the project, which that was a large commitment on the FAA funding side. Once you do that, you're committing to build um, some sort of project or you're at risk of needing to pay back any funds that we've spent in those phases. But the city was seeing some community pushback around the proposed location. In September of 2021, the Sitka Tribe of Alaska sent a letter to the state and the FAA citing concerns about the location and impacts on marine life, like spawning herring, as well as on patients at the nearby Mount Edgecombe Medical Center. And supporters and staff from Ravensway, a residential substance treatment program for teens, spoke against the proposed location at assembly and school board meetings. This is Ravensway Director Annette Becker addressing the assembly last year. This will have significant negative impacts on the ability to provide necessary, effective, and beneficial treatment services for youth and their families. An increase in seaplane noise, foot, and vehicle traffic related to seaplane operations is expected. My concerns include significant interruptions in academic instruction and psychotherapy services. I urge the city to move the proposed seaplane base to an alternative location um, that has been identified. Because of the feedback, Harmon said that the FAA is circling back to its initial review and may require additional mitigations around the project. He said that pushes the city's timeline back by about a year, with construction finishing in 2025. Right now, the budget stands at around $34 million, more than double what Public Works projected last year. Harmon said that's due to the increased scope of the project, more accurate funding estimates, as well as historic national inflation levels. He estimated that the city would only have to contribute around $2 million in matching funds, but also said city staff would work on a scaled-back design to present to the Assembly at a future meeting. Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis did not necessarily see the increased costs as a deal-breaker. 
Um, 34 million is quite different than 15 million. Um, however, with such a small match, I think a, a business case can be made on that side as well. It'll be an interesting discussion for sure. While waiting for the FAA to conclude its environmental reassessment, Harmon said the city can take its own next steps, securing the land. They negotiated the purchase price with the state last year, just shy of $800,000. But if the city doesn't acquire the land before the end of the year, the Department of Education can renegotiate the purchase price. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose.